Hi there. We're Dr. Luffy and Dr. Leah. You're listening to the Medical and Dental Podcast. Luffy is a medical doctor and Leah is a dentist. We're sisters who are both based in Melbourne. Our podcast will discuss medicine and dentistry, but we'll also touch on other topics such as current affairs, lifestyle, health and fitness, and everything in between. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome back to episode three of our podcast. Today, we'll be following on from our previous episode and we'll be discussing diet. Most importantly, before making any changes to your diet, it's important for you to discuss these changes with your doctor as everyone is different. There are many aspects we need to take into consideration, such as absorption of food, food intolerances, body composition, age, and medical conditions. For example, my iron is always on the lower end of normal, so I find I crave red meats and dark green leafy vegetables a lot more, and I generally try to consume more foods rich in iron. Also, when I was a teenager, I was eating a lot more than I do now, so it's important to consider that your age also affects your food intake and metabolism. Everyone is also aware that food intolerances exist, and these changes we mention may not have a desirable effect on you, especially if you have any pre-existing medical conditions that require a specific diet or more or less of something. So definitely consult your doctor before making any of these changes. Okay, let's get right into it. There is way too much emphasis on outward beauty these days. There are so many articles on how to have the best body, whether it's being very slim, very muscular or very curvy. There are a wide variety of apps focusing on how to lose weight. So many diets promoting ways to lose weight, gain weight, how to consume your calories, what percentage of each macronutrient you should have to build muscle, lose fat, get that six pack or get that big booty. But the truth is that it should all begin with a healthy relationship with your body and its fuel, food. The focus should always be what is healthy for me, physically and mentally. And hating yourself and what you look like will never be productive in achieving health. So here are some tips on how you can have a healthy diet. Let's start with calories. Now, we do not recommend an unhealthy obsession with counting calories, and we strongly believe in maintaining a healthy lifestyle above all else. However, there are a lot of instances where it is important to count calories, whether it's for health reasons, for work or for sport. Surprise, surprise, there's no set caloric intake for everyone that can be termed the magic number. Everyone is different and each of us has a different basal metabolic rate. We are all genetically different with different body compositions, different activity levels, different eating habits. So although we can offer you a rough estimate, we won't do that today. Every person requires their own assessment and we definitely do not want to encourage a restrictive diet or the opposite. The trick to weight loss and weight gain 
in the most simplest terms is to understand your own body and your current maintenance calories. Maintenance calories are the total amount of calories required on a daily basis to maintain your body weight with no gains or losses in fat and or muscle tissue. There is a lot of information available to help you calculate your own personal maintenance calories. And in very simple terms, once you are aware of your maintenance calories, you can adjust your exercise and or food intake to maintain your weight, slowly increase or decrease your weight. All right, now I'll hand you over to Luffy who will discuss some ways that you can have a healthy diet. A healthy diet must include plenty of fruits and vegetables. The World Health Organization recommends that you have at least 400 grams of fruits and veggies, which is equivalent to five portions per day. Fruits and veggies contain a variety of vitamins and minerals, as well as fiber and antioxidants. Fruits and veggies have been shown to help prevent heart disease, help reduce the risk of non-communicable diseases, and help to ensure an adequate daily intake of dietary fiber. For those of you who don't know, there are two different types of fiber. Soluble fiber slows down digestion and helps us to stay fuller for longer. And it can also help stabilize our blood sugar levels and can lower cholesterol resorption. Insoluble fiber helps to encourage regular bowel movements. Some ways that you can ensure you get enough fruit and veggies are by including them in every meal. Mm -hmm. Blend them into a soup or blend them into your sauce, dip or pastry filling. Have them as a snack like carrot and celery sticks and make it fun by eating the rainbow. Another tip to improving your diet is to move away from saturated fats and trans fats and instead choose foods with unsaturated fats. Mm -hmm. Did you know that there are four main types of fats? monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, which include omega-3 and omega-6 fats, mm -hmm. saturated fats and trans fats. Healthy fats are monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats. Unsaturated fats can improve cholesterol by decreasing low-density lipoproteins, or LDLs, which is the bad cholesterol that deposits in your arteries. Unsaturated fats can also increase high-density lipoproteins, mm. or HDL, which is good cholesterol, which is protective. So basically, good fats increase the good type of cholesterol and decrease the bad type of cholesterol. And bad cholesterol is bad because it can deposit in your arteries, narrowing them. This can cause heart disease and stroke, mental impairment, and also dementia. Whereas good cholesterol picks up excess cholesterol in your body and takes it back to the liver where it's broken down and removed. So what are some examples of some good monounsaturated fats? Well, olive oil, peanut oil, canola mm -hmm. oil, mm -hmm. avocados, nuts such as almonds, Love hazelnuts, them, yeah. pecans, yep. seeds such as pumpkin seeds and sesame seeds. Mm -hmm. What about good polyunsaturated fats? Where can we get those from? Well, examples of polyunsaturated fats include sunflower oil, mm -hmm. corn oil, mm -hmm. soybean oil, again, canola oil, yep. walnuts, flax seeds, and fish, particularly salmon, mackerel, and sardines. Yep. Yep. Omega-3 and omega-6 fats are important types of polyunsaturated fat. The body can't make omega-3 and omega-6, so they need to come from food. Unhealthy fats are saturated fats and trans fats. Saturated fats can be found in both animal and plant products. Trans fats are the worst type of dietary fat. 
Trans fats have no known health benefits and there are no safe levels of consumption. The World Health Organization reports that trans fat is responsible for over 500,000 deaths from coronary heart disease each year globally. Mm. And it's calling on governments worldwide to eliminate industrially produced trans fat from the food supply by 2023. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mandatory trans fat policies have now been enacted by 55 countries and territories in all World Health Organization regions. Included in this list is Austria, Canada, Denmark, Iran, Singapore, Switzerland and the United States. In Australia, however, there is no requirement for trans fats to even be labelled on food. So where do we find saturated fats and trans fats? Well, saturated fats occur naturally in many foods. The majority comes mainly from animal sources, including meat and dairy products. This includes butter, palm oils, coconut oils, cheese, and red meat. They all have high amounts of saturated fat, so please be mindful of how much you consume. Trans fats, particularly manufactured trans fats, the worst kind of fat, can be found in most junk food. It's included in fast foods and deep fried foods, baked goods such as cakes, cookies and pies. It's even in microwave popcorn, frozen pizza, refrigerated dough, biscuits and rolls, donuts and non-dairy coffee creamer. Most trans fat is formed through an industrial process that creates hydrogenated or partially hydrogenated oils. I was just eating Cheetos while editing this podcast and stopped to check whether it had trans fats, and it does. This package luckily had it clearly labelled. However, if it's not clearly labelled, look for partially hydrogenated oils in the ingredients list. You would be surprised how often it's included in foods. So how can you reduce unhealthy fats and increase healthy fats in your diet? Well, you do exactly that. Eat less of the saturated and trans fats that we listed and eat more of the unsaturated fats that we listed. Remember, don't go overboard with unsaturated fats either. Fats have a lot of calories, so eat healthy fats in moderation. You can also reduce your fat intake by cutting the fat off meat, limiting baked and fried foods and pre-packaged snacks, steaming or boiling instead of frying food when cooking, and replace butter with oils rich in polyunsaturated fats such as soybean, canola, corn and sunflower oils. What about coconut oil? Have you heard about the coconut oil trend reporting that it helps blast away belly fat, suppresses your appetite, strengthens the immune system, prevents heart disease and prevents dementia and Alzheimer's disease? Well, it's false. You should avoid commercial coconut oil. Coconut oil is 100% fat, and 80 to 90% of which is actually saturated fat, so the bad fat. That's why it has that firm texture at cold and room temperatures. There is evidence that coconut oil actually raises LDL, so the bad cholesterol that deposits in the arteries. There are other uses for coconut oil, but we wouldn't recommend it as a food. So what about salt? If I can't have coconut oil, surely I can't have any salt. I mean, we know that we shouldn't put too much salt in food, but how much salt is actually too much salt? Well, most people have too much salt. 80% of the salt in our diets comes from packaged foods. Salt is listed on food labels as sodium. 
High sodium intake contributes to high blood pressure, which in turn increases the risk of heart disease and stroke. A lot of the processed and packaged foods that we purchase from the supermarket have salt in them. So I normally recommend to avoid adding any salt at the table. The Australian Heart Foundation recommends no more than five grams of salt, which is 2000 milligrams of sodium per day, which is about one teaspoon of salt. An adult only needs around one to two grams of salt, which is 460 to 920 milligrams of sodium per day to function. If we look purely at the sodium content, it doesn't actually matter whether you use pink Himalayan salt, rock salt, table salt or sea salt. They all contain approximately the same amount of sodium. They differ, however, in the amount of minerals and other nutrients. Remember, sodium is the part of salt that can be damaging to health if consumed in high amounts. Reducing your sodium intake will help to prevent hypertension, so high blood pressure, and reduces the risk of heart disease and stroke. Sodium reduction to a level of 1500 milligrams per day has been shown to lower systolic blood pressure, so that top number of the blood pressure reading, by about eight millimeters of mercury in people with high blood pressure and about seven millimeters of mercury in those who do not have high blood pressure. That is a significant result for a lifestyle change. And that happens within weeks of reducing salt intake. At first, food will taste differently without you adding salt during cooking, but after four to six weeks of adapting, you'll be able to appreciate the natural flavors of food. And you can always add herbs and spices if you need more flavor. Also important in a healthy diet is to drink plenty of water. You need an adequate intake of water for your body's daily physiological functions. Water also has many other health benefits, including maintaining your cognitive function and mood, so you feel less tired and are able to concentrate better. It also helps to reduce the risk of bladder infections and kidney stones because you are regularly getting rid of the toxins in your body. Water is also fantastic for oral health. The bacteria in your mouth really loves sugary foods because it feeds the bacteria in your mouth, which then creates acid. When these acids are left in the mouth, they can cause tooth decay, or its technical term, dental caries, by wearing down tooth structure, which we definitely want to avoid. As well as brushing and flossing your teeth, regularly drinking water can help flush away food remnants, sugars from food you've consumed, acids and bacteria, helping to prevent dental caries. This may also help with the bad breath you may experience when you've just eaten. And drinking plenty of water also helps prevent constipation and promotes regular bowel movements. And it also helps with skin hydration and elasticity, generally making you look less fatigued, which is always great. Water also has zero calories. I mean, I've personally found that I feel so much better when I drink a glass of water first thing in the morning. It rehydrates me after, you know, five, six, seven hours of sleep and no drinking. I never used to do this when I was younger and I generally went straight for the coffee as soon as I woke up, which then dehydrated me further and made me feel sluggish until I rehydrated myself a couple of hours later. I realize now that I was really, really underestimating the power of water and my ability to focus and concentrate throughout the day and actually help my body perform to the best of its ability. I also now drink a glass of water while I'm preparing food and that's to prevent me overeating when I eat my meal around 30 to 40 minutes later. 
Not only does it hydrate me and stop my brain from confusing dehydration with hunger, but it also gives me a feeling of fullness and prevents me from overeating. There has been a study that reported that drinking 500 mils or two cups of water half an hour before each meal combined with a low calorie diet can lead to 44% greater rate of weight loss than a low calorie diet alone, especially in overweight, middle-aged or older people. There is such a thing as drinking too much fluid though. An excessive fluid intake can cause water intoxication which is dangerous and potentially fatal. And if you have a medical condition that may require certain levels of fluid consumption, like heart failure, please speak with your GP before changing your water consumption. All right, now let's discuss some vitamins and minerals that are important for your bodily functions. Iron, which you mainly get from red meat and green leafy vegetables, is important for growth and development. Iron is important for hemoglobin, which is a protein in red blood cells that carries oxygen around the body. Vitamin B12, which you get from animal products including meat, fish, poultry, eggs and dairy, is important for nerve and blood cells. Calcium, which you mainly get from milk, yogurt and cheese, is needed for your bones, muscles and nerves. Vitamin D, which you mainly get from oily fish and eggs, and of course from sunlight, is important for your bones and for calcium absorption. I've had a lot of patients ask me whether they should take multivitamins or other vitamin supplements. I don't recommend vitamin supplements unless you have been specifically shown to be deficient in something. For instance, in iron or in vitamin B12 or in vitamin D. If you have too much of a particular vitamin or mineral, the body may not be able to get rid of the excess, which can therefore become toxic to your body. So unless your doctor has recommended that you take a specific vitamin supplement, I wouldn't recommend that you start something over the counter as this has the potential to cause you harm. For the majority of the population, if you eat a healthy, balanced diet, you should be able to get all of your nutritional needs through natural foods. However, keep in mind that there are some circumstances such as pregnancy where certain supplements would be appropriate. So speak to your doctor to discuss this further. Now we've all heard a lot about processed foods and that we should avoid them, but why? Well, the reason why you should cut down on processed foods is because processed foods generally contain preservatives, artificial coloring, chemical flavoring, texturing agents, and highly processed foods are generally high in simple or refined carbohydrates. These simple carbohydrates are broken down by the body quickly, causing spikes in blood sugar and insulin levels. This is why after consuming processed foods, you may experience an initial increase in energy followed by a crash. If you are constantly consuming foods that cause this rapid increase and decrease in blood sugar levels, it can increase your risk of type 2 diabetes. Processed foods may also be high in trans fats, which we've spoken about earlier. Trans fats are the worst type of dietary fat and we should avoid them at all costs. So, since processed foods are generally low in the nutrients and vitamins you really need, they don't keep you full and they cause spikes in blood sugar, increasing your risk of diabetes, high cholesterol and stroke. Why would you waste your caloric intake on these processed foods when you could have a nutrient rich and healthy meal? 
Now, speaking of nutrient-rich and healthy foods, what about snacking? So we're all for healthy snacking, as snacking is important in maintaining your blood sugar between meals and maintaining a good level of energy throughout the day. However, again, too many rapid increases and decreases in blood sugar can increase your chance of developing type 2 diabetes. So it's important to snack on foods that are not processed, that are nutrient-rich, low in glycemic index and that are satisfying. Added sugar, especially from lollies and sugary drinks, is a major reason for unhealthy weight gain and health problems like diabetes and heart disease. Use snack time as a time to boost energy between meals and eat foods that are low GI, high in vitamins and minerals and key nutrients. The key to healthy snacking is preparation. Have snacks prepared and segmented for when you need something to satisfy a sugar craving or when you're feeling low in energy. We recommend snack portions of nuts, fruit and yogurt, cheeses, and a snack with a combination of healthy fat such as avocado with something light like celery sticks or whole grain crackers. So let's talk mindful eating. Being mindful of your food intake is incredibly important in health and weight, but also in satiety. I am a very big eater and I love food and I generally eat on larger sized plates. However, not surprisingly, evidence suggests that sizes of plates, spoons and glasses can subconsciously influence how much food someone eats. And this makes sense. There is some evidence that for those who are already more likely to overeat, larger plates may encourage overeating. It seems that visual cues have an important impact on unintentional overeating and that we are affected by the amount of food on our plate versus the size of the plate or bowl. So this is an important reason to exercise conscious eating and be mindful of portion control. When considering food packaging, much like the plate situation, jumbo-sized packages, party-sized packages, and food served from large containers encourages overeating and less awareness of appropriate portion sizes. So, what should you do? It's clear that due to many factors, we can't always rely on our own judgment of appropriate portion size. So knowing recommended serving sizes for the foods you normally consume can help you moderate your intake. If you're unsure, do a little research and reading the packaging for more information on serving sizes really helps. Always remember that mindful eating is important in portion control. Definitely try to have your meal away from technology and that includes the TV. Sit down and make eating food an event. Physiologically, there is also a time lag of about 20 minutes between eating and the brain recognizing that the stomach is full. So be mindful and take your time when eating to allow your body to realize when it's had enough. If you would like more information on nutrition, please let us know and we can organize a separate podcast episode for this. And that brings us to the end of episode three of the medical and dental podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a lot about healthy eating. Thank you again for listening. That's our podcast for today. If you liked what you heard, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes or share and subscribe to stay up to date with our uploads. Always remember healthy mind, healthy body. See you next time.